A story from thousands of years ago, a story recorded in God's word says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Today, a more modern version goes, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. What place does Jesus hold in your life this morning? What place does Jesus hold in your life this morning? Is he your everything? Is he worthy of your all? Or is he a part of many things, a compartment that fits neatly into the trinkets of this world? What place does Jesus hold in your life this morning? Today, as we continue our study of the book of Revelation, and as we study Jesus' message to the church in Smyrna, we will see what we have already known, what we've already heard many times in God's word, that we are either allegiant to the world set to devour us or to a Savior come to rescue us. There is no middle ground. Today, our message is entitled, Troubled Under Glory. Troubled unto glory. Today we're in Revelation chapter 2 looking at verses 8 through 11. Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. Troubled unto glory. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 8, God's word says this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown, the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will be, not be hurt by the second death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we rejoice in this good day. We rejoice in our Savior Jesus. We rejoice in the forgiveness of our sin. We're rejoicing in a hope that stands and endures and flourishes even today. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word today, I pray that it would be a tremendous event. And I pray, Lord, it wouldn't be the passing on of information, it wouldn't be a lecture, but it would be the word of God, the living and active word of God, spoken from your word to our hearts and to our minds. I pray in this important day that we would be equipped as the church. I pray that we will be built up as the church. Lord, I pray we will be ready to stand in these last days, a beacon of the hope of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would, again, teach us 
and lead us through your word. I pray if there's someone listening today, maybe in this room, maybe in some other way that does not know you, Lord, I pray that any hindrance to their receiving Christ today by faith to be removed, any distraction be removed, and I pray that today for the glory of our Savior, today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, we come and we tell you, you are good, and you are kind, and you are gracious, and you are powerful, and you are merciful to us as sinners, and we love you. We tell you, Lord, we love you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, we're going to go very quickly to our study. As we resume here in the second chapter, we find ourselves holding and examining Jesus' words to a specific church. That's what we have here. That's what we're examining here. But more than that, at the same time, supernaturally, it is a message, I believe, to all of those in the church age. I believe it's a message to all churches and in a supernatural way, including us today. And so it is a message to a specific church, an actual church in history, but I believe in the supernatural power of God's word. It is a message for us in this church today as well. In this set of verses here, in this letter here, they were taught, they were corrected if need be, they were encouraged. And I want to tell you my prayer, and I believe God's intent is that we would be today as well. And so I begin this day by saying what I've been saying. God is speaking to us today. God is speaking to our church today. And God is speaking specifically to you as a follower of Jesus Christ today. All right, let's go to our verses. Starting in verse 8, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, now, I have said this, and I have explained this. I believe this is referring to the local pastor of the local church there in the city of Smyrna. I believe it's addressed to him. It is, it is given to him. He is to pass on the message. He is to relay the message. And so, I believe this is addressed to the pastor of the local church there in Smyrna. Now, historians believe and I think it is most likely that this very specific pastor, this pastor, was a man named Polycarp. Uh, we know that he was an associate of John. We know that he was taught by John the Apostle. And I believe most likely he is the pastor of this church in Smyrna at this exact time. Now, I think it is worth noting or, or, or seeing about him about 60 years after the receiving of this letter, he, for his faithfulness for the cause of Jesus Christ, he is stabbed and his body is burned on a pile of wood. The verse identifies the specific local church as the church in the city of Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is an interesting city. It was quite the city. Uh, it was called the most beautiful Greek city in the world. It was on a deep harbor. It was on a safe harbor. It was on a protected harbor. Uh, the city started at sea level there at the harbor and then climbed up into the surrounding mountains. It was said if you were to stand at ground level and look up at the city, that it looked as if you were standing in the midst of a crown 
and looking up. As the city traveled up the sides of the mountain, as you were to stand at sea level and look up, it would seem that you were looking at a crown. Centuries before this letter arrives, Alexander the Great had set out to make Smyrna the model city. That was his goal. That was his mission. He poured resources into it. His goal is that it would be the perfect city. In this city, there was the center for religious worship. On its main road, I read that it was a grand road. On its main road were lavish grand temples to Sybil, to Apollo, to Aphrodite. As you travel down the road and got to the mountain, there would be a temple to Zeus. Uh, there was a, a marvelous statue to Homer who was born there. Uh, not only that, these temples exist on this road, and so the road is filled with these spectacular temples. Not only this, this city was the center of Caesar worship. Uh, in this city, there was a, a marvelous temple to Rome. Also in this city, there was a temple to Caesar Tiberius. In the city also of Smyrna, there was a great gymnasium, and they would have athletic events there. There was a large stadium, and they would gather for athletic competitions there. In the city of Smyrna, there was a theater, if you can imagine, with 20,000 seats. It was the largest Greek theater in the world. The largest theater in the world is there in this city. The calendar of the city was full. It was filled with religious festivals, one after another. One of the gods that they were enshrining there, that they were honoring there, they would have religious festivals. Not only that, their calendar was filled with sporting events. Their calendar was filled with theater entertainment. Smyrna was the capital of worldly things. In the region, it was known as the capital of worldly things. Because of its shape, it was well known as the crown of worldly living. Here is this city and every luxury is there. Here is this city and every form of entertainment is there. Here is this city and every form of worship is there. Anyone you want to worship, you can find there in this city. And the city is known as the crown of worldly living. It is ironic its economy was in part based on the trade of myrrh. Now that's in the name Smyrna. It was based on the trade of myrrh. It was the perfume that was used primarily for embalming. And so when they would prepare a body for uh, burial, they would use myrrh. I think it is interesting, most likely the myrrh that was applied to Jesus came from this grand city. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. Now I think it's important to see, I want you to see this, the, the grace of Jesus and the comfort of Jesus is made known in this title that we are reading. And so it is a gracious thing, it is a comforting thing that we find Jesus told to us in this title. Here we see who the letter is from. Make no mistake, 
the heaviness of the following message is offset by the weight of this title. Now, I want you to hear that again. They're about to hear a hard message. They're about to hear a serious message. Well, the heaviness of the message they are about to hear is offset by the weight of this title for Jesus. He says this, the first and the last. Now, we have seen this before. We've passed by this before. It refers to the one who is before all and so is self-existent, is the creator God. It refers to the one who is before all and the one who is after all. And so, therefore, it is referring to the one who is above all. This is referring to the pre-existent Christ. This is referring to the eternal Christ. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. Who is our Christ? Who is our Savior? Who is our hope placed in? This is our Savior. It is placed in our Creator God, the eternal Christ, the one that is over all things. Our hope is placed in Him. Now, it adds to that, if you can imagine, who was dead and has come to life? Who was dead and has come to life? It literally translates who became dead and has come to life. Now, I want you to get that this morning. I want you to see that, and I want you to be sure of that this morning. Listen very carefully. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, listen to me, we have a risen Savior we have a risen Savior. Now, we've said that so many times, it might grow numb in our ears, but we need to be sure of that. We have a risen Savior. No greater fact could be said. No more profound truth could ever be held. No greater word of encouragement could ever be uttered. Listen, friend, we have a risen Savior. He has paid for sin in his death. He became dead. He has defeated death. He has overcome the grave. He has dispelled our fears. And in that, our victory is announced. We have a risen Savior. Believer, anchor yourself to that. Tie yourself to that. Whatever's going on, and I'm going to tell you sometimes life is very tough. Whatever's going on, and whatever may come, we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. Whatever may come, anchor yourself to the truth. Come what may, we have a risen Savior. Praise the Lord, we have a risen Savior. That Savior says, all right, moving to verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Starts off, the verse starts off and it says, Jesus says, I know. I want you to see this. Listen very carefully. Sometimes we sit around and wonder, man, life is hard. And I didn't know it could get this hard. And I wonder if God sees me. And I wonder if he knows the, the hurt of my heart. Listen, we have a Savior who knows. We have a Savior Whoever you are, whatever you're at today, we have a Savior who knows. Now, I want to explain this to you. We have a Savior who doesn't know 
like the hearing of information, no. Sometimes people say, well, did you hear about that? Yeah, I know about that. That's not the kind of Savior we have. That's not the kind of knowing that he knows by. This is one, a Savior, who experientially knows. And so he knows not just the gaining of information. He experientially knows. And so he knows our tribulation because it was his tribulation first. He knows our poverty because he came as one not esteemed in the poverty. The Bible says the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He knows our poverty. He knows the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews. Think about his story. Those were the ones who mocked him. Those were the ones who ridiculed him. Those were the ones that charged him falsely, and they spat upon him as they did it, all the way to the cross of Calvary. And so when he says he knows their blasphemy, he knows their blasphemy. Tribulation here, the word translates pressure squeezing unto death. Pressure that comes and pressure that builds, and pressure that accumulates, and it, it literally translates squeezing unto death. I picture it as the cranking of a vice. Poverty here, it translates destitution, to be destitute. Blasphemy means to slander, to assault one's character, or to lie on, seeking to destroy. All right, going to verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now right here I want you to picture this. Can you imagine this church receiving this letter? And I want you to picture that for just a second. Here they are in this church, and they're in this worldly city, and times are already tough, and this city already hates them, and there's pressure all about them, and there's persecution that flashes against them, and here they are in this little church, and they have been assembled. There, there is a letter that's come from John, and that, 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 that author of that letter is Jesus himself. And so they assemble in this church, and, and here they come in, and maybe they've come in out of the hardships of life, and maybe they can't understand what's going on, and maybe they can't understand how things have turned out the way they have. And they, they come and they assemble, and there's a letter, and the, the pastor there has the letter, and it's from the Apostle John, and it's a message to us from Jesus himself. Can you imagine this little church as they sit up to listen, what might Jesus say? Oh, our hope is in Jesus. What might he have for us in this letter? And they sit up with their ears do not fear what you are about to suffer. Suffer? Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison. They look around the room, some of you, so that you will be tested and you'll have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. Unto death? And I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says to this crew, do not fear what you're about to suffer. 
And I, I want to tell you, I picture this letter as it's being read. And I, I picture the message of this letter as they're hearing it. And it's as if Jesus is being honest with them, but he's saying this, listen to me. Listen to me. See who I am. Remember who I am. Do not fear. You're about to suffer. It's about to get tough, but Jesus says, put your eyes on me. Listen to me. Do you know who I am? Do not fear. Some of you are going to be put to prison. It says here, you'll have tribulation for 10 days. Now, there's a lot of discussion on the 10 days. There are some that would say the 10 days represent a duration of time, a length of time. And they would say it's 10 days or it's 10 weeks or, or 10 months or 10 years. They would say it is some symbolic length of time. There are others that would say it is 10 separate seasons of suffering. And so you'll go through 10 periods of suffering. There are others that say that it refers to 10 different forms of suffering. You'll suffer first like this and then you'll suffer in another way at a different time. I will tell you this, we do not know what it is talking about. I do not believe, and so I cannot say what the 10 days are. But Jesus says this, but be faithful. That word means be trusting, be believing, be faithful. Don't let go. Unto death, he says, if it needs be. Be faithful, and I will give you the crown of life. Let's go to verse 11. He who has an ear. What, what an introduction to that verse. He who has an ear. If you have an ear, listen. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Listen to me this morning. What place does Jesus hold in your life today? What place does Jesus have in your life right now? Is he worthy of everything to you? Is he worthy of all to you? I'd rather have Jesus. Can you sing that today? Is that what you would rather have today? Because the teaching of Scripture is this. Holding up Jesus could cost you your life. You know what? It's going to cost you a lot of things. It might cost you your reputation. It might cost you some of your friends. It might cost you the comfortable things that you've got going on. But Jesus says here, holding up Christ could cost you your life. See the truth here. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not exempt from death. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not exempt from death. But the Bible says we have no fear of the second death. Now, later in the letter, that's going to be explained to us. It says the second death is the lake of fire. The second death is eternal judgment. We have nothing to fear in the second death, but the opposite is true. We have peace and hope in Jesus when it comes to the second death. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Now, I have said this was for them. It was specific for their time. It was specific for their church. Again, I believe the pastor who read this letter, he was killed and he was burned on a stack of firewood. But I also said, and I believe it, 
This also is for us. Now listen very carefully. This letter, this message from Jesus is also for us today, in this day, in our time. I want us to see four truths, and this is how we're going to end. We're going to see four truths for us today. Now listen very carefully. Understand these truths. Four truths for us today in these days. All right, here we go. The first truth for us is this. Be sure there are no meaner people than people content, satisfied, and reveling in the world's system. Now, I want you to hear that again. There are no meaner people than people content, satisfied, and reveling in the world's system. Friends, be sure today the world's system is opposed to God. There is no middle ground. The world's system, it exists in dire opposition to God, to the truth of God. There is no middle ground. There can be no compromise because, and be very sure and see this, what the world heralds as an open mind is actually a closed heart. And so today we hear all about having an open mind, and I'm an open mind, and what a blessing it is, what, a, what an achievement it is to have an open mind. Listen to me, what the world heralds as an open mind is actually a closed heart. And what the world heralds as sophisticated and wise is actually foolish and empty of wisdom. The world says, we've got it all figured out. We've got your answers over here. This is sophisticated. This is wise. But what the world heralds as sophisticated and wise is actually foolish and empty of wisdom. And what the world celebrates as tolerant, what a, what a virtue that is today, what the world celebrates as tolerant is actually intolerance being shut off to the truth of our Savior Jesus. And what the world heralds today as love is actually no love at all, listen to me, but it is the lie and the filth and the vile hatred of Satan packaged in such a way that we would take it voluntarily into our bosom and there we would be consumed. The world's way is a lie. There's no truth in it as opposed to the things of God. The world's way is a lie. Do you hear me today? The world's way is a lie. It'll lead you to destruction. It'll tear your homes and your families apart. It'll end in eternal judgment. The world's way is a lie. There are no meaner people than people content, satisfied, and reveling in the world's system. Second thing we see today in our verses, standing for Jesus will draw the attack of the world. Standing for Jesus will draw the attack of the world. Let me, let me be honest with you on this one. I often wonder why. I often wonder why. Why do they care? Why do they care what I believe? Why do they care what I preach? They're going to do what they want to do. They're already doing what they want to do. Why do they care? Why do they care what any of us believe? Listen to me. Let me tell you why. It's because the Bible tells us righteousness always stands in contradiction and conviction of unrighteousness. 
Righteousness always stands, and it's a conviction of unrighteousness. Now, what that means is this. If you're doing the right thing in the empowerment of God, seeking to honor God, if you're doing the right thing, it draws the ire of those that are doing the wrong thing because it convicts them, and it makes them look bad. Let me tell you something. I figured this out, and I'm the same way. You want to do something dangerous, make somebody look bad. And you, I'm going to tell you something about me. You make me look bad. I don't like being made look bad. And, and when, we, when we stand in righteousness, it's a conviction to a lost and cruddy world. And so the world attacks those that stand in righteousness. Be sure standing for Jesus will draw the attack of the world. Be sure standing for Jesus will draw the attack of the world. That leads us to the third thing, and that is this. Standing for Christ will require you to suffer. I, I hate that one. Maybe I'll tell you today, maybe there's nothing we need to be saying more. And maybe there's nothing that we need to be preparing ourselves for more. I think we've led folks to say, you know what, if you'll follow Christ, it's going to be easy. If you follow Christ, you're not going to have any trouble. If you follow Christ, you're going to be able to skip all the way through this. Listen, that's not the message of Christ. Standing for Christ will require you to suffer. Listen, Jesus told us that, and Peter told us that, and Paul told us that, and John now relays the message to us. Standing for Jesus will require you to suffer. Standing for Christ in opposition to the world, holding out the love and the grace of Jesus will require you to suffer. That's the truth of the Word of God. Think we're ready for that in the church today? You think we're ready for that today at Calvary Baptist Church? We're going to have to suffer to stand. We're going to have to suffer to uphold the truth of the Word of God. It is required of those that would stand holding up the grace of a loving Savior. <coughs> and that brings us to the last part. Brings us to the last part. But the fourth point, the last point is this. Listen very carefully. But, now I want you to hear me, standing for Christ is our greatest honor. Standing for Christ. Sometimes we think, man, the applause of this world would be tremendous. Oh, popularity in this world, it'd be grand. Oh, if I had the, the friends that they have, if I had the popularity that they had, oh, if I had the platform that they had, I want to tell you, listen to me, standing for, the Christ, for Christ is the greatest honor honor we're ever afforded. It's the greatest honor we could ever have. The word here in verse 10 for crown, it is the Greek word Stephanos. Stephanos. Now, it's an interesting word. It means crown, but it's not the royal crown that we probably envision. We hear the word crown, we think of a, a king's crown, a royal crown. No, it was a simple wreath placed on the head of the winner of a competition. It was actually called Stephanos, the victor's crown. This crown, it means glory or honor for the winner. Now, I want you to see what it means. If you have this crown on your head, it means the race has been run. It means the race is over. It means you have endured. It means not just that, but you have prevailed and you are standing wearing the victor's crown. That's what this crown means. I want you to see this. I want you to watch this. Here is this assembled church and they hear this letter 
And they exist in a world in all of its glory. They exist in a world with all of its magnificent things, its stunning sights and sounds. And there are athletes that walk the street. And there are famous actors that everybody knows their name. And there are powerful politicians that everybody bends to. And they exist in the midst of a people proudly set against our Savior Jesus and all around them in this world is temptation. At any turn, they can set it down. At any turn, they can fail. All around them is the pressure to be silent. Oh, if you'd just be quiet. Oh, if you'd just quit preaching this message. All around them is trouble. All around them is hatred. And Jesus says, as you stand in a world that is going to cause you to suffer, as you stand in a world that you're provoking by preaching the truth, as you stand in trouble is sure just as sure there will be a day and you'll stand and it won't be in the, the, the fakeness of this worldly living, the crown that it offers, you will stand in a crown of victory. And the greatest honor will be that you have stood. No greater testimony to your faith will ever be and all glory will be to our risen Savior Jesus. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. And so Jesus says to this little church, oh, church, you'll be troubled. You will be troubled. But oh, little church, you'll be troubled all the way to glory. Praise the Lord. All glory be to Christ. Why stand for Christ? Maybe you're weighing it out today. Why stand for Christ? Let me give you a couple of reasons. First off, it's an honor of Christ. I have a Savior that came and humbled himself and went to a cross and died paying the penalty for my sin. And he has risen from the grave. He stands as the risen king. And the reason we would do this, the reason I would stand is in honor to Christ. Another reason we would do this is in obedience to Christ. Listen, he tells us, this is our commission. Go ye therefore into all the world. He says in the same way that I have empowered I, that you, I will empower the church and I will empower you and you'll be my witnesses all around the world. It's in obedience to Christ. It is to say I love Christ and therefore I will heed and I will obey his word. Why would we tell folks about Christ? Why would we stand on the truth of God's word? Why would we stand in a wicked world? It is in obedience to Christ. Let me tell you another one. Why would we stand it is in love like Christ. It is in honor of Christ. It is in obedience to Christ. And it is in love like Christ. Listen to me. Christ loves this world. And he came, he came, he gave his own life. He sacrificed himself in the greatest exhibition of love. The Bible says he's patient and kind, desiring that none should perish. And so listen to me. As we exist in this world, oh, it's a mess. As we exist in this world, oh, it's hurtful to us. But I want to tell you this, those outside of Christ are perishing. Those outside of Christ are hurting. They are suffering. And they need our Savior, Jesus, the same Savior that I cling to as the Savior that is their hope as well. And so why would we stand in this world? Why would we tell them about Jesus Christ? It's because we love like Christ. Jesus is their answer. Jesus is their answer. Let's pray. Father, we come and we praise you today. Lord, I, 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 
Imagine the heaviness of their hearts as they hear. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be so dumb. We wouldn't be so flippant. We wouldn't be so distracted. We wouldn't miss that this letter's for us today as well. I pray, Lord, in honor to you, in obedience to you, and in love for you and like you, that there would be a people that would stand up and dust off the trappings of this cruddy world and stand and say, there is hope alone in Jesus. Lord, help us to stand. Help me to stand. Help Calvary Baptist Church to stand. Lord, help our, our grandparents, our parents to stand. Help our kids to stand. All for your glory. All for your glory. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you do not lie and you have not lied. And there is a victor's crown. And there is life. And we do not have to fear a second death. And I know that was provided for in the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray in the hearing of this message, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, as they hear of such grace, as they hear of such love, that they would turn to you today, receive you in faith. And I pray for us as a church that we're stirred up. Lord, that we're propelled, that we're motivated, that we would stand. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude with a time of invitation, most important time of our service is to respond to the truth of God's preached word, God's word. And I want to tell you there's a, a couple of things every week that you can respond to. First is this, if you never trusted Christ, I want to tell you he loves you, he knows you, he is your remedy in the person of Jesus. You know what, no sin is too great, no distance is too far. If you'll trust Christ today, he'll save you right now. And you start to say, oh, well, but. Listen, there's no well, buts. If you'll trust Christ right now, his grace is offered to you, he'll save you right now. He'll forgive you right now restore you, renew you, redeem you. He'll do it right now. If you never trusted Christ, do it right now. If you need more information, you come. Let's talk it out. I'll show you what the Word of God says. Let's settle it today. Do not leave without it settled. Maybe another response is this. You need to join a church where this is the mission, where this is the focus. And Maybe you prayed about it and you believe God has led you here. You come and we'll unite and together we'll serve His cause. Or maybe you're here and you need to follow on believer's baptism. You need to say, you know what, I've trusted Christ, but I want that testimony to stand. What we believe of Christ and who I am in Christ. You come, we'll set a day of celebration, a day of testimony in your baptism. And then I believe there's a response for this, for us in the church today to say, it's time for no more business as usual. And it's time for the glory of Christ and obedient to Christ. And the great love for, and to, for Christ and as like Christ. To stand and say, you know what, there is a Savior and there is a hope. God, help me to be an agent of that Savior, an ambassador of that hope. We're going to stand and sing. If God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you, if you need more information, if you want to pray here at the front, you come on. As we stand and sing, you come on. I'll meet you here.